wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither. They're standing at the Jordan River and the waters parted. So that they too went over on dry ground. It came to pass when they were come over that Elijah said unto Elisha, What shall I do for thee before I be taken away from thee? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee, but if not, it shall not be so. And it, shall come, and it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire, horses of fire, and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and took of his own clothes and written them into two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and when he went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when it also smitten the waters, they were parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. I want to speak to you for just a few moments this morning, just very simply, crossing Jordan. I know we've had a regiment of visiting speakers uh, since this year, since we launched Just Do It, but I want to present to you today another Just Do It-based message. You folks are responding beautifully to this, and I thank you. We've had people step up this wanting to do a number of things. A number of people have done that, and I appreciate it so very much, but I want to keep encouraging you today to just do it. Everybody say, thank God for the word. Look at your neighbor and say, just do it. God bless you. Thank you. You may be seated. Israel crossed the Jordan River going from the wilderness to the land of Canaan under the direction of Joshua. And uh, it seems that since that time, the crossing of the Jordan River has become a type of separation. Not just a separation for the sake of being separated, but a separation from, from something mundane, something even sinful, to a place of something better, something that God approves of. Uh, it's often referenced, the crossing of Jordan is when that old seasoned saint of God uh, begins to expire and uh, pass from here to the life to come, that people will say, well, Old brother so-and-so, old sister so-and-so has crossed the old Jordan River. It's a symbolic thing that just means they've crossed from this place to a much better place. And so it is in Scripture. The crossing of Jordan is from a place of lesser contentment, lesser fulfillment, lesser happiness to a place of greater fulfillment, greater contentment, and greater happiness. There's people here today that needs to make that crossing spiritually. You're living in a place where your life is not as fulfilled as it should be. You're not as close to God as you could be. Your life isn't moving in the direction that you had wanted to. And what people don't understand is God is not a sideline hobby that you engage on Sunday morning once in a while. But God is something you devote your life to. He is someone that you give yourself to, and when you do, God begins to orchestrate the events that happens in your life. And when you have God's blessing and God's approval on your life, even though life sometimes still happens, you're still in the hand of God, and He empowers you. He makes sure that you get to your destiny. There can be hard times. There can be times that you misunderstand there can be things that happen in your life that you don't have no clue as to why. There's no rhyme to reason. But if you have cultivated a consistent, faithful relationship with God, I can promise you that God will get you through it. Somebody made a statement here a while back, and it resonated with me, and I've never forgotten it. The Bible never said that the three Hebrew boys wanted out of the fiery furnace. Now, they were delivered from the fiery furnace, but they were walking around in that fire with, with what the Bible said was the likeness of the Son of God. And as long as he was in the fire with them, 
It didn't matter that they were in the fire. You don't read in the Bible where they were begging and pleading, God, please get me out of this fire. It just seemed like they were having a good jolly time of fellowship in the middle of that fiery furnace with Jehovah, and they didn't need to leave the fire. Now, that's a difficult train of thought for some of you to get your head around. But I want to uh, present to you this morning that there's people who want to live on the fringe Uh, the fringe area. You want to live on a border, if you will, when it comes to your relationship with God. You want to be just close enough to feel saved, but not close enough to feel committed. I want you to, I want to encourage you this morning to make that commitment. Everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, just do it. Okay, I need a little more passion, a little more fervency. If they're going to listen to what you just said, oh, just do it. What time is it again? How much is this longer? Is this? That, look at your neighbor and say, hey, man, just do it. You hear me? All right. Elijah showed up on the scene, not Elisha, but Elijah. Elisha's predecessor, if you will. He shows up on the scene in Israel's history at a very dark time. A very dark time. As a matter of fact, To me, it's almost reminiscent of the time that our country is in right now. King Ahab, the Bible said in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33, had provoked God more than any other king. The Bible said, and Ahab Ahab made a grove. Ahab did worse, or excuse me, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel that were before him. In other words, to put it in our terminology, Ahab had God really ticked off. I don't know how else to say it. God had had enough. But Ahab was not so much a wicked man as he was a weak man. He was not so much a wicked man as he was a weak man. He became the pawn of a very crafty, unscrupulous cruel woman. He fell under the wicked sway of Jezebel's spirit. After Ahab married this woman of Phoenician descent, she immediately set about to to work to destroy the nation of Israel and everything that it stood for in relationship with God. He fell under that wicked sway of Jezebel's spirit. She built a temple to Astarte or Ishtar and Jezreel, uh, an idol god. She built a commune that supported 450 priests of Baal. She built a temple uh, of idolatry, (coughs) excuse me, in Samaria. She tore down the altars of Jehovah at Carmel and replaced them with shrines and groves. She begins to persecute the priests and prophets of Jehovah throughout the land with a fury possessed by hell itself. And here comes Elijah onto a scene like this one. In 1 Kings chapter 17 through chapters 19, through Elijah, God brings to pass some of the most exciting things that would take place in the history of Israel. But after he had been serving for some five to ten years, he picks up a young man And God ordains that this young man work with him. He would spend somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to ten years with Elisha. A whole lot of learning would be accomplished during this time frame. Elisha is a diligent student and takes careful notes of everything that Elijah does. In the course of time, Elijah is to be taken away from Elisha. The text I read to you today tells part of that story. Let me say today in passing that influence is a powerful tool. And if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be, then your influence is going to be misguided. Thus you will have a tendency to mislead those that you have influence over. This is why it is so important. To have your marriage, your home, your family as healthy as it possibly can be. 
Those who are around us are being shaped by whatever actions and deposits that we're placing into their lives. I am the same today. I am the same today that I will be in five years except for the people I meet and what I choose to pour into myself. I want to say that to you again. I am the same today that I will be in five years except for the people I meet and what I choose to pour into myself. In other words, hanging around with thinkers will make you a better thinker. You hang around with spiritually hungry people and you'll find yourself getting hungrier for God. There's people that I'm trying to reach here this morning and I'm going to ask you to bear with me as I methodically go through this message. If you hang around with positive people, then you will be more positive. If you hang around with people who are accomplishing something with their lives, then you will be challenged to do the same as well. You hang around with winners, and you will become better at winning. Conversely, you hang around with a bunch of complaining, griping, whining, bonehead people, and you'll get a whole lot better at that as well. Amen. Everybody say amen. Elisha got the most out of his relationship with Elijah. Elisha got the most out of his relationship with Elijah. And it paid great dividends to him in the future. There were some things that Elisha learned after Elijah was taken away. And this is where my message begins, and this is what I want some folks here today to hear. If you're going to just do it, if you're going to have that relationship that God, with God, that God wants you to have, if you're ultimately going to be that person that God wants you to be, I want to say what I want to say here this morning, and maybe this is more pastoral than, than evangelistic, if you will. But uh, there's folks here today that, you, you hang out with people that's not pulling you towards God. You hang out with people that's pulling you away from God. That needs to stop. We need to cultivate relationships. You remember our tagline this year is building better relationships. And you need to cultivate relationships with godly people, with praying people, with people who study the Word of God on a consistent basis. If you're going to be better, then you have to hang around with better people. People that pulls you to God and not people that pulls you away from God. So if you're going to begin this process of crossing Jordan from a place of mediocrity to a place of fulfillment, from a place of boredom to a place where life is really worth living, a life that's full of purpose and meaning. Somebody made a glorious statement to me the other day personally said it's hard to attend grace without getting better because that's what the atmosphere says to you all the time. It grace is you want to get better. I want our, our, our uh, atmosphere here at grace to have a positive influence on people that you get better in your relationship with God. I don't want you to get better at worldliness. I don't want you to get better at compromise. I don't want you to get better at less praying and less Bible reading. I want you to get better at more of that. I want you to be the child of God that He wants you to be. I want you to be the child of God that you want to be. I want you to be the child of God that the Word of God wants you to be. Somebody shout, yes! So if you're going to do this, you may have to go it alone. Elisha, when he lost Elijah, that was his mentor. That was his friend. To put it in our terminology, that was his pastor. It was more than his pastor. He did not just train him in just ministerial ethics and ministerial conduct. And, and, and the spirituality required, required for ministry. But he taught him how to be used in that dimension of the miraculous, that e the elusive place in God that a lot of people and most people never find. Elisha was called to that level. He was crossing Jordan both literally, figuratively, and certainly spiritually. He had to decide that day that if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be alone on this journey. In other words, 
there's not going to be a big support group of people behind me. I just have to make up my mind, kind of like Joshua did in the Old Testament. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That ain't mom and dad on, and then the kids on board. That's dad on board. And just telling mom and the kids, this is what we're going to do. And I'll go it alone if I have to. I'll do it by myself if I have to. But that's the way it's going to be in my life. And I want to encourage somebody here today to square your shoulders, put your chin up in the air, and say, God has a tailor-made destiny for me. And if I have to walk this road alone, then by God, I'll walk it alone. It's going to be some dark, trying time. But if God be for me, who can be against me? Hallelujah to God. The Bible said in 2 Kings chapter 2, and he saw him no more. At Elijah's peak of need. At Elisha's peak of need. Elijah was taken from him. But this is what Elisha did. He turned all of that need and want and desire and hunger. He turned that all towards God. God got his loyalty. God got his faithfulness. It wasn't in a man anymore. It was in God himself. And if God, and if God steps to that place in your life, then you can make it across Jordan and you can make it to your destiny. You can fulfill your calling. You can fulfill your dreams. God will take care of you and your st- will be guided by him. So Elijah leaves. He's raptured in a chariot of fire, disappears out of Elisha's sight. Now he is alone. He's facing the Jordan River. They had crossed it a few hours earlier, but Elijah was with him and made that happen. Now Elisha is facing the Jordan alone but he remembered a lesson from his mentor that would help him that day elijah had conveyed to elisha that there will be times when you will be all by yourself sometimes god's vision sometimes god's mission and sometimes the burden we feel can only be accomplished in solitary places I know what I'm talking about here this morning. I've been in some of those places myself where it was just God and I that gutted it out, man. I didn't have a support group. I didn't have a little internet group. I didn't go to some support group in somewhere across town. I didn't go see a therapist or a psychiatrist. I didn't even go to the doctor. I took it all to Jesus. And it was a lonely, dark time. But I'm here to tell you today, it's a matter of record that God was with me and He led me and he'll do the same for you he could almost hear Elijah telling him not to let the loneliness rattle him for Elisha is now God's man it's not Elijah Elisha's the man now you're the man You don't think you're that big of a deal. You don't think you count. You don't think you're that important. I love that song they sang this morning, the praise team sang. It's not about who you are. Dave mentioned it in his opening comments. It doesn't matter how how small you feel and trivial and insignificant. It doesn't matter about your past. You're covered. You're a child of God. And if you want to do the will of God, God will put you in a place where you can do the will of God. And he will empower you to reach your destiny. And everybody said amen. So notice what was ahead of Elisha now that he's God's man. He would have to face the powerful and yet very weak Ahab in the royal courts alone. He would watch the brook Cherith dry up alone. He would have to ask the widow of Seraphath for her last meal alone. He would face death and pray for a dead child alone. He would openly rebuke the king of A, the, the, uh, the king Ahab alone. He would face the wicked priest of Baal alone. He would mock Baal and the priest alone. He would have to repair the broken down altar 
Alone, he would have to pray for a downpour of fire. Alone, he would have to marshal the people to destroy the prophets of Baal. Alone, he'd have to pray for rain. Alone, he'd have to uh, face the doubt of a servant who saw through faithless eyes. Alone, he would run 17 miles from Jezreel while Ahab rode in a chariot. Alone, he would battle depression under a juniper tree. Alone, he would be ministered to by angels in the voice of God's direction. Alone, Elijah set a trail. He set a precedent that if you want to be where God wants you to be, and if you're willing to walk the journey, more than likely you're going to walk it alone. It'll be battles that you'll have to face and dark times you'll have to go through. But somehow, and I don't always understand the economy of God, but as you go through things... And he never tells you why. And you never understand why. And you have to go through it alone. But it's just God's way. But on the other side of that, on the other side, is a joy and a peace and a contentment. Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, no matter how you look at it, there must be some times in your life when you're willing to face down the calamities of life alone. The spouse isn't always invited to accompany you on this journey. Family and friends may not be able to go with you on this journey. That's why private prayer is so important. Private relationship with God. Jesus said, what you do in the closet, you'll be rewarded openly and in public. That's why it's important to have those times of fasting for a breakthrough. That's why it's important to meditate on the Word of God. You never know when God is going to put a Jordan River in front of you and say on the other side of that, there's a life, there's a promise, there's miracles that will go beyond your comprehension. But I have to tell you through a dark spot I have to take you through a solitary place you're going to be all by yourself and it's going to be real scary but understand and know that I've got you in the palm of my hand and you will never go where I will not be with you I wish somebody could hear the word of God this morning I feel the Holy Ghost here today clap your hands with me one more time if you would Thank you. Sometimes the substance of these solitary times are generally hidden from the prying eyes of the unsanctified. It is in these times we find great dependence on God. We have a lot of people in our church who come single. They come as one person. My heart goes out to them, and, and I'm not sure they want sympathy. And uh, they don't necessarily are asking for a pat on the back, and please, you know, everybody feel my pain. But there's people that attend church here every Sunday, every Wednesday. Their spouse doesn't come with them. In other cases, their kids doesn't come with them. In other cases, their parents doesn't come with them. As far as I know, and I want to say this in all due respect, but we have young people, I don't want to call names, we have young people here today that are committed and sold out to the teeth and their parents hardly ever attend church here with them. Uh, either they go to another church or their parents don't go to church at all. And uh, we have people here today who's widows and widowers and so on that people are making this journey by themselves. And this is not intended to be a singles class. But I just want to point out to, the, to those of us who enjoy coming to church, I attend this church with my wife every single service, and I thank God for her. I thank God my daughter and son-in-law is here and my, my two grandsons. I thank God for that. I, I don't gloat over it in front of everybody, but we go home and we sure do brag about it. I've made the statement, I'm not sure I'd want to pastor this church without my daughter and son-in-law here as a part of it. I hate I had to give up my one son. I wish he was back. But there's people here today that because of death and divorce, 
problems in the family, problems in the homes and what have you, that you attend church here alone. But I want to tell you that sometimes that solitary place gives you a greater opportunity to get alone with God. It seems like oftentimes the lesser number of people that we're surrounded ourselves with is a great opportunity to get alone with God if we would only seize that moment. And I want to tell you, I've been in some dark places. I've been in some solitary places. But God has always been with me. It's all He's always been with me. But let me tell you what this proves people sometimes think well i come along and i don't have a big voice and my family's not well represented as a matter of fact my family don't serve god my spouse don't my kids don't my parents don't and live get live goes on and on and on i want to tell you today when you read the story of elijah and elisha you don't read about a family support group around either one of these men you don't read where they had this huge entourage of people that traveled with them everywhere they went it doesn't mention a spouse and kids and what have you they did it by themselves but it proves this one thing that one man one person who makes up their mind that I'm going to fulfill God's purpose in my life. Do you understand that you have been given the empowerment by the Holy Ghost that you can literally change your world? You can change your life. You can change things around you. You can be what you want to be. And God has proven more than on one occasion that he can take one man and change the world with one man. Young people often struggle when they're in school that I'm the only young person that serves God. But you can make an impact. You can make an impact in your family. People, single people can make an impact in school and church and world. As a matter of fact, in all of eternity, don't ever get backed up into a corner and think that just because you're alone that God can still cannot still prevail in your life. When you get weary and exhausted and worn out, just remember that when Jesus took that small quantity of fish and bread when he was done with it he had 12 baskets left over and I've seen it happen here in grace already there's people that's come just one person and they made an impact in a prayer meeting I've seen a one single widow woman in this church change the whole environment and atmosphere of a prayer meeting I've seen people who are using their gifts and talents as one person and making an impact on many don't tell me today that just because you're here by yourself you have to run stick your hand hole somewhere and just wait to die it's not so my friend if God be for us not only do you have to go it alone talking about crossing Jordan but there's going to be some trade-offs going to be some trade-offs that you have to make so if Elisha has learned that you will have to go alone sometimes. He also learned the importance of trade-offs. Elisha did not get to this place in his life just because he thought of it one day in his head. You know, this is a really cool idea, and I like that guy over there. Man, he does all this fancy stuff, and man, he prays, and there's this invisible presence shows up, and fire comes down out of heaven, and man, I think I want to do that. That ain't how it happens. It never happens that way. He had to decide. He had to make a choice. I want everybody in the building to listen here today. Uh, the more I preach this message, the more I get into it, the more I see the will of God in it. Not that I questioned before, but I'm just feeling a powerful move of the Spirit right now. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost rocking the house. There's people here today, you're on the fringe area serving God. You keep being pulled back and forth. Should I really get in church with all of my might? You know, I still want to do this in the world and do that in the world. I want to hang out with these people in the world, and I don't want to cut them friends off. You don't have to cut them off. You just have to be real selective in what you do with them. I thought I'd get a little support on that statement, but I thought more of us believed along that line. If you're going to decide to do something about getting somewhere, then you have to understand there's going to be some trade-offs. There'll have to be some things you give up in the world, and there'll be some things you'll have to start doing in church. I say church, the kingdom. I'd far rather us be kingdom-minded. You know, to our ushering staff, you guys are tremendous, but you're not doing that for the church. You're doing it for the kingdom. It's for the furtherance of God's kingdom that you receive offering, not the church. Our money's go around the world. 
And we have to understand that, that point of view. I'm quite sure that Sister Yvonne at some point taught Brianna Foster in Sunday school. Did you ever teach her in Sunday school? Okay. Did you ever think she'd be going to Ireland? You, you don't know where it's going to end up. As a matter of fact, Brianna, your Sunday school teacher, former Sunday school teacher, went on a mission stint to Africa a number of years ago. Kind of runs in the blood around here. And, uh, but, but our contribution is not just to the church, and you don't know where the people whose lives you influence, you have no clue of where they will end up. That's why we have to be careful. I'm still preaching to some folks here this morning. You've learned and found and called out a place of contentment living on the fringe area, and that needs to stop. You need to just do it. Just do what God wants you to do and be what God wants you to be, and let the proverbial chips fall where they may. And if you're going to do that, there's going to be some trade-offs. So he had to decide what he wanted to do and, 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 and about these trade-off things. I want you to notice what he did when Elijah just walked by him. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, So he departed thence and found Elisha the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him. This is his career. This is his livelihood. This is his job. Twelve yoke of oxen, and he with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle on him. That's it. It wasn't to sit down and sign this contract, and I'll guarantee you millions in three years. Elijah took his cloak, his mantle, and just laid it over the shoulders of Elisha. Notice what Elisha did. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah, and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen. He slew them, boiled their flesh with the instruments or the tools you would use for plowing of the oxen, gave it to the people they eat, and then he arose and went after Elijah. Gave it all, man. Burn it to a crisp. He couldn't go back. The oxen had been eaten, and the equipment you used to plow with had been burned. He didn't save him a safety net. But he was willing to make the trade-off. Elisha was exposed to the marks of the mission. His day was no different than ours. Notice the state that Israel was in, and so is ours. A backslidden nation with religious systems totally devoid and bankrupt of spiritual power. Jehovah worship was mixed with Baal worship. A corrupt king and queen. A priesthood that had followed Israel to be swept up in paganism. But when you hear the calling of God, and He's calling you to your destiny, there suddenly becomes a call that's higher than life itself. And Elisha left the farm. He left his family. He had a mantle that was cast upon him. And he was the only one who can make a determination as to how valuable this new mantle was going to be to him. If the things of the kingdom have great enough value that you will leave your farm and family and oxen will be sacrificed and the yoke will be burned, Elisha turned his back on everything. So listen to me. And I'm not trying to call people here to preach and to be missionaries. But this is what I am calling you to. There's some trade-offs that you have to be willing to make. You have to choose anointing instead of just acceptance. You have to choose ostracism instead of inclusion. You have to choose the miraculous instead of the mundane, the prophetic over the popular, the dangerous for the comfortable, sacrifice instead of ease, God himself instead of self. Elisha was willing to trade everything he had for a double portion anointing. There's something that you need to know about trade-offs. When you make them, you don't know the value of it until well into your destiny. But you'll need to go ahead and make the trade. God has incredible amounts of purpose and anointing that will never be grasped and realized until you make that trade. God's not interested, Peter, in you keeping a hand in the boat 
and a hand reached out to God walking on the water. If you're going to walk on the water, you've got to let go of the boat. You've got to get out of it, and you've got to let go of it. And there's people here this morning that's been riding the fence down for months. It's time that you make up your mind to just do it. Just do it. I'm going to let go of it, Pastor. I'm going to let go of it, God. And I'm going to be that person. There's folks that's already told me, I feel a burning in my spirit to be involved in children's ministry. I want to be in the praise team. I want to be a part of this and a part of that. But I just don't know if I can let go of that. I don't know if I can give a listen. There's going to be some trade-offs. Let me ask you a question here today for those of you that have enjoyed and appreciated the altar of holy matrimony. When you got married, did you give anything up? Did you? many of you men got your wife to agree when you got married that honey now you know I have these three other girlfriends now I love you the most but there's these three other girls that I am really close to and we are emotionally involved do you mind if I not come home for dinner tonight and go have dinner with one of them what would your wife say Do you know what? As far as I'm concerned and through my eyes, your wife could be the ugliest woman. You would have to hang a pork chop around her neck to get the dog to play with her. And I may look at you and say, I cannot believe, man. You gave all the other stuff up for that. But you did. And I applaud you. I don't know what to say. I don't know if you need to take another trip to the optometrist. But beauty truly is in eyes of the beholder. Y'all understand I'm just having a little bit of fun right now. Is that okay? Even though it's kind of semi-true anyway. I love that woman that was ugly, but she could sing. The man married her because she could sing. Got married and the first morning they woke up and he rolled over and looked at her in the bed and he said, Sing, Sally, sing. You better sing quick, woman, because you ain't looking too good right now. <laughs> you decided to have a child. What did you give up? And then what's really remarkable is knowing the price that you had to pay to have one you turned around a few months later and had another one. And there's been folks I know that didn't ever know when to quit. But if you deem a relationship with somebody worth it, and this is the point, if you deem the relationship worth it, you will give up anything. Am I right? Why don't we do it with God? We want God to understand that, God, there's things in the world that we love more than you, and you're just going to have to understand. And I've had people tell me, when I get to judgment, I'm going to persuade God of that. No, you're not. The Bible is very clear, and it's very succinct. God said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. He wants all of you today. And there's people standing... And a glorious opportunity in your life. You're standing in front of a Jordan River that looks impassable. But when God is for you, he'll part the water. And you can begin the life fulfilled and satisfied. And a life with hope and promise. I declare I don't understand why people divorce knowing full good and well that God could fix it. I don't know why people let their kids go haywire knowing full good and well that a God-centered home could change a lot of that. But they say the price to live for God is too great than to go through all that heartache. I don't get it. If you're gonna, if you, there's, there, there's going to be some trade-offs. It's not a tiptoe through the tulips. You know, there, there's things that I've given up. But to me, my relationship with God is worth it. It's worth it. The third thing that Elisha had to realize is you have to resist the urge to quit. I reference sometimes the message made an impact on me. It just came at a time in my life when I needed it. 
and it made an impact on me, and I've never forgotten it. I heard it years ago, back in the 90s, early 90s, because of the times. Brother Treadway pastored in Beaumont at the time. He's, he's retired now. But he preached a message, and he titled it this, You've Picked a Fine Time to Leave Me, Lucille. It's the title of his message. If you call the White Steeple Bookstore in Alexandria, and you want a copy of that, that's what you ask for. And if you just tell them, I want that, that sermon that Brother Treadway preached it because of the times years ago, they'll say, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. A lady told me that works at the bookstore a couple of years ago that that's her biggest selling sermon out of all the sermons in that bookstore. You know why? Because it, it hits people where they're living. Because people get discouraged, you get tired and get burnt out. And you're frustrated and life isn't going where you want it. And you can't figure out why. And you just can't get a grip on things and you just want to quit. Crossing Jordan tells us that we'll have to go it alone. We'll have to make some trade-offs. And there's going to be times you want to quit. But whatever you have to do to resist the temptation to give in, just do it. Whatever you have to do to resist the temptation to give in. Just do it, whatever it takes. Don't quit. There's not scripture for quitting. It's unbiblical to quit. It's out of the will of God to quit. You can't expect God to endorse the fact that you want to quit. You can't quit just because you have a mantle, just because you made some trade-offs, just because you've been taught a course by one, one of God's greatest all-time prophets does not give you immunity from life. Rivers will still confront you, Elisha. Skeptics will still laugh at you. Your enemies will still mock you. Your own moods and whims will still try to destroy you. You've got to get beyond the possibility of throwing in the towel. Stand up like a man and persist in what God is directing you to do. When I do pre-marriage counseling, I tell every couple I counsel with, from here on out, you have to take the D word out of your vocabulary. As long as you consider divorce an option, it's going to be hard for you to stay true for the next hundred years. It is. As long as you have a backup plan, you're not going to be totally committed. As long as you have a way out, an ace in the hole, Whatever you want to say, you have to make a total and complete commitment. The same is true with God. There's some of you folks ain't liking this message too much because this isn't what you came to hear. And it's certainly not what you want to do. But your life will never be, it will never be what you want it to be until you bring God in it and make Him the chief of it. I've been through class 101 many times. praise team sang a song a couple of Sundays ago, Jesus, be the center of this church, be the center of my life. That's the way it's got to be. Samuel Johnson said, great works are performed not by strength. Great works are performed not by strength, but by perseverance. Oftentimes in the boxing ring, it's not the strongest boxer that wins. It's the one who can last the longest. Helen Keller said, Helen Keller, blind, deaf, Helen Keller, we can do anything we want to do as long as we stick to it long enough. Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Some years ago, there was a flight from Portland, Maine. Listen. Some years ago, there was a flight from Portland, Maine to Boston, Massachusetts. The pilot was Henry Dempsey. He heard an an unusual noise near the rear of the small aircraft, and he turned the controls to his co-pilot and went back to investigate. As he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket, and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. He quickly discovered the source of the mysterious noise. The rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff, and it flew open, and he was instantly sucked out of that small jet. The co-pilot, seeing the red light that indicated an open door, radioed the nearest airport requesting permission to make an emergency landing and requested a helicopter search of that area of the ocean. 
After the plane landed, they found Henry Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he was able to catch a hold of that ladder, hold on for 10 minutes as the plane flew 200 miles an hour at an altitude of 4,000 feet. And then it landed and kept his head from hitting the runway. It took air personnel several minutes, airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers from the ladder. Things may feel turbulent, and you may not feel like holding on, but have you ever considered the alternative for letting go? I've seen it all my life, Brother Smith, you have too. The people that started a relationship with God with full intentions of going to the other side to cross the Jordan River at eternity. But they couldn't hold on. Just couldn't make it. Couldn't do it. Divorce comes. A death in the family comes. Children go haywire for no reason. The pastor goes nuts and does something crazy. The church falls apart, apart or has a split. And people say, if this is the way I want it, it's going to be, then I don't want any part of it. Let me tell you something. None of this, these things that I just mentioned, revolves around the, the godly plan for your life. Life happens no matter what. No matter what life happens. God never promised you a tiptoe through the tulips. He never said it would be easy. And the Bible is full of characters from the beginning to the end that went to hell and back, if you will, just to hang on to their relationship with God. And in the final, final analysis, you know what? It was worth it for them. And for those that missed it, for those that missed it, for those that couldn't hang on, if you could talk to Cain, one of the, the first brother in the Bible, if you could talk to Esau, if you could talk to Samson, if you could talk to even Solomon, if you could talk to Demas, if you could talk to Judas, they would come screaming to this pulpit and tell you that whatever you have to do, no matter what it takes, you've got to hang on, no matter what the preacher does, no matter what mom and dad does, no matter what happens in life, you've got to keep going, man. You can't quit. You can't stop. So what if Elisha had thrown in the towel and given over to the thought of quitting? There are some 17 miracles that would have never taken place. The miracles are summed up. The Jordan River crossing, salt water purified. The two avenging bears, the valley of ditches. The pot of all the great woman, a resurrected child. When the meal of pottage was healed. And the, the 20 loaves of barley. Even Naaman that I preached about a couple of Sundays ago who was a leper would have never been cleansed. You'd never hear the story of the floating axe head. The eyes that could suddenly see. A great famine and four lepers. The, the return of the Shunammite woman and the death of the king. You'll never hear these stories. If Elisha had quit. If he wouldn't have crossed Jordan that day, these stories wouldn't be in the Bible. What I'm trying to submit to you today is there's miracles and signs and wonders on the other side of Jordan, like it was for Israel, so also it was for Elisha, so also is it for you. There's things that God has for you if you'll just cross and make that commitment that God wants you to make and be that person He wants you. There's things He has for you if you could do it. I can't live a holiness lifestyle. Yes, you can. There's millions of people around the planet that do it every day, and it's a piece of cake. You'll do whatever will please your lover. You'll stand with me this morning. I want to encourage you today. Keep your grip on the mantle. The last crossing Jordan principle means that you'll have to keep a grip on your mantle. The mantle is tied to the prophetic, to the past. The past and prophetic will always be entwined in the fabric of the righteous we ever forsake our past, we will forfeit the prophetic. We're so much wrapped up in that mantle. It was one of those graphic, life-changing moments for Elisha. It was one of devotion to Elijah. It was one of separation. Yeah, it was one of hardship. It was one of great victory and nobility. It was one of special privilege and power. I want everybody here this morning to look back to the places in your life where the metal fell, mantle fell on you. And you were called out to serve, to worship, to pray. You were called to conversion. You were called to sacrifice. It cannot be something that is just handled carelessly, but it must be treasured with great care. 
We have to take that mantle that has been extended to us down through the ages. We have to understand that when God gives us a mantle, when God calls us out of sin, when He calls us out of worldliness, He's not just calling you to be separate for the sake of separation. He's calling you to a better place, a place of more fulfillment, more satisfaction, more promise, more hope, a place of the miraculous, a place of signs and wonders, a place where God can intervene in your life and do amazing things. While every head is bowed for a moment, I want you to give pause to think about what you've just heard. And I want to pray for just a moment. Father, we come to you today. I ask you humbly that this message has gone forth with fervency and passion, with honesty and sincerity. I hope it's received the same way. I trust you today, God, that your hand is going to begin to reach out and literally fondle the hand of the person that you're talking to right now. They're going to feel your presence in their hands. They're going to feel that holy anointing as it goes down their neck and their shoulders as you lay that mantle on their shoulders and begin to call them out and say, I have purpose for you. I have desire for you. I have anointing for you. I have a path for you. And I want you to walk that path. I'm preaching to our young people here today. I'm preaching to young married couples. I'm preaching to moms and dads here today. It's been a long time since you have renewed that commitment, that solidarity in your relationship with Jesus. God, I'm asking you today to reach this congregation of people. Let the hand of God reach. There's people here today that's called to the ministry and they don't want to do it. There's people here today that you burden them for outreach, but they don't want to do it. There's people here today you burden them for children's ministry, but they're fighting against it. I'm asking you today, God, to intervene. To intervene in this moment, in this hour. We can't quit. We have to understand, yes, there's some trade-offs and some sacrifices, but the relationship's worth it. It's worth it. There's a young married couple here today. God's brought you to a place of opportunity. You need to seize that opportunity. Let the past be the past. You need to start living in the present and accept what God has for you in the future. There's young people here today that you're just like Demas. When he, wrote, when he told Paul that this world is calling me, the Bible said that he left. He left the ministry. He left everything. He left the church. Because he loved this present world. I'm going to tell you, young folks, it ain't worth a boyfriend. It ain't worth a girlfriend. Moms and dads, it ain't worth a husband and a wife. There's a greater relationship, and his name is Jesus. And you put him first. I don't care what happens in your life. You put him first. While they begin to sing, I'm going to ask everybody to move up to the front. And I want everybody to come with a desire. I'm asking you today to come with a desire that I'm going to draw close to God. I'm going to ask that God direct me through that burning in my life, that burning that seems to never go away. I'm going to ask God to take my heart, to take my life, to take my everything. Come on, folks, everybody. Everybody, if you stand there, somebody else will feel like they can stand there. Come on, it's not going to hurt you. Come on up here for a few minutes. Don't stay back there and say it's okay. You'll give somebody else a license to do the same thing. I'm pulling hard this morning because I want you to have the best of God. I want you to have the best that God has to offer. You say, Pastor, we've been here a thousand times. We have, and you know what? We'll be here a thousand times more because we never get close enough. You never get close enough. You never get, come on, somebody talk to him right now. Hands are up all over the building. Somebody talk to him right now. God, I'm going to do it. God, I'm going to do it. Come on, that's right. God, I'm going to do it. God, I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to be everything I can be for you. Your kingdom is going to be first in my life. I'm going to seek it first. Come on, come on, come on. Hallelujah!
Come on, folks, the job can't be first. School can't be first. Hobbies can't be first. Seek ye first the kingdom. Let's talk to the Lord. Everybody talk to the Lord right now. The Spirit of the Lord's working here this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is working here this morning. Everybody talk to Him. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah to God. In the name of Jesus. In the name.
Hallelujah. 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 Come on, folks. There's people praying. There's people praying across the building this morning. Let's pray. Let's reach heavenward. Let's reach heavenward. Hallelujah to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 If somebody's praying close to you, pray with them. If somebody's praying close to you, pray with them. Otherwise, go to somebody and hug their neck and tell them how much you love them. Praise the Lord. It's a great atmosphere here this morning. Somebody take advantage of it. Somebody take advantage of it.